0: you have your Bibles, please start in then to Revelation chapter 1, book of Revelation, the final book in your scriptures, and I believe it can be found on page 1,000 and something there in your, in your uh, Bible in the chair backs in front of you, 1,028. You know, if you're looking for a way this year to dive into your Bibles and really read and study them. One recommendation I would have for you is to read the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then read the last three chapters of the Bible, Revelations 20, 21, and 22, and see the great story connect there. Uh, As you're turning there to Revelation, just a couple of things. One, I'm not starting a sermon series on Revelation, (laughs) maybe later. We will be next week starting a new sermon series on Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians will take us almost throughout the whole year as we'll look at God's sovereign grace and looking at the theology of the Christian life and the the application of the Christian life. So looking forward to diving into God's word with you in the book of Ephesians. But also, for all of you ladies, you noticed in the bulletin announcement concerning a women's ministry event, um, if, if you could take off from work, And come on Tuesday mornings and join us. That would be just fantastic. And if you can't get an excuse from work, just say, my pastor said, and just see what happens after that. Um, Love for all of you to join us as we dive into God's word and enjoy that fellowship. Uh, That's for our ladies. Men, we've got some events on the horizon for you, so stay tuned. This is God's holy word to us this morning, Revelation chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 9 through 18. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it out to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand upon me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Look with me at verse 3 in Revelation chapter 1. For God's word says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear, help us to read, help us to keep what is written here in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do something maybe slightly charismatic this morning, okay? So just be careful. Picture Jesus in your mind. Go ahead and get a a mental picture of of Jesus in your mind. So as you do that, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is your perception of Jesus? How How do you think of Jesus when you picture him in your mind? Well, two very common conceptions or perceptions of Christ that we have. One is a man hanging on a cross. And that is something that we focus upon and we meditate upon and think about at Easter time. But we just got done celebrating Christmas. And so at Christmas, we often talk about the baby Jesus, the baby lying in the manger. But should these images... Should these perceptions, the way that we think of Jesus, should this be the way that we think of our King and our Savior? What about His glory? What about His majesty? What about His exaltation? Do these things come into your mind as you think of Jesus, as you perceive Him in your mind? Do you take these things into account? And if you don't do this, if Jesus' holiness and glory does not come into your mind when you think of them, then I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Do I have a reverent fear of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Do you have a, a reverent fear, a holy fear of the glory, of the majesty, of the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important questions that we must ask ourselves, that we must consider in the Christian life is, how do I perceive God in my heart? You know, how do I think of him? What is God to me? Because our ability to grasp the gospel, our ability to plumb the the riches of his grace, depends on how do we perceive how we perceive God. So, what is your perception of God? How do you think of Him? The way that we think about God matters more than anything in life. And so here, in Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John has a symbolic vision of the exalted and glorious Lord Jesus Christ that was given to him by the angel of God. Now, it's it's important for us to, when we study literature like Revelation, here in God's Word, that we cannot take this vision necessarily absolute literally. John's description of the exalted Christ that he sees here, it's the best that he can describe in in human terms. I mean, how how do we describe heavenly things? It's hard. This vision of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ can only be described by John using comparative language, and that's why, for those of you who are into English and grammar, I'm not, but I've heard about people who are like that, you see all the similes, like and as, as the description of Jesus was given by the Apostle John. So what John is writing for us here and what he's describing for us here is a a picture full of rich imagery and symbolism that's not necessarily meant to be painted. You know, we're not supposed to go and paint an image of Jesus up on the the wall and worship it. No, this is a a picture to be pondered. John is calling us to, to ponder and to meditate on the glorious, exalted Lord Jesus Christ. So this vision of the glorious Christ given to us is so that Jesus may be exalted, that he may be worshipped, that he may be seen as glorious and holy and majestic so that we may ponder, meditate upon who he truly is. So we oftentimes, as we've said, we fail to recognize, we fail to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory and his majesty. And when we do this, we take God lightly and it, it weakens our worship. It gives us a small view of who God is. But we must see as we confess this morning, what is our chief end? is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Worship. Worship is what we are made for. And when our hearts are filled with authentic worship, then we are filled with the greatest happiness, greatest happiness and joy that we could ever know on this earth. When we are worshiping the true and living God. And so this passage is teaching us that Jesus is exalted to the heavenly realms and that he is glorious. He is sovereign over all. He is greater than every power and authority that there is. There is no one like him. No one matches his sovereignty. There is no power greater than the Lord Jesus. And so a glimpse, a glimpse that we're given here of the greatness and the splendor of Christ, compels us to worship him for who he truly is. We worship him for who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do. And we fear him. We fear him in the sense that we are to regard him with the highest honor and praise. And so after studying this passage, my hope and prayer for us is that this year, every year, every day, that we will not take the glory of the Lord Jesus lightly, but we will worship him intensely. And so, knowing that this passage is about Jesus as an exalted Lord, I want us to look at three reasons why we're to worship him in reverent fear. Three reasons we worship the Lord Jesus in reverent fear. One, because of his glory. Two, because of his greatness. And three, because of his graciousness. So there you go, to start off the new year, new year alliteration. <laughs> glory, greatness, graciousness. We Worship Christ in reverent fear because of his glory. Look with me in verses 13 through 16. Look at this amazing description here that John gives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how glorious and transcendent and majestic in the grandeur Of the one whom he has seen, he is glorious. The New Testament meaning for the word glory comes from its Old Testament use. So you may have heard of the Old Testament Hebrew word for glory, it's kabod. And the idea of kabod is this heavy, weighty glory. When we Come face to face with the kabod, with the glory of God. It's it's, it's weighty, it's, it's heavy. It's describing someone who is laden with riches and power and stature. And so Christ appears here to the Apostle John in overwhelming glory. And the weightiness of the glory of Christ was heavy upon John when he saw him. He wanted to die, the passage says. And so we see here Jesus is glorious in his transcendence. He speaks here of Christ's supremacy, his, his glory. He's transcendent. He's supreme. He's beyond the material universe. He's otherly. He's unlike one John has ever seen. There's no one more powerful and exalted than the one whom John was seen, and his transcendence is evident there in verse 13 when John describes him as one like a son of man, and that's kind of interesting for us to read. It may be something we don't fully understand. What, is, what does this mean Is he's like the son of man? I mean, aren't we all kind of a son or daughter of man? But this is a title. The title, the son of man, is the number one title that Jesus uses to describe himself in the Gospels. He calls himself the Son of Man. And the reason why Jesus does this, and the reason why John says that there's one like a Son of Man appearing to him, is an Old Testament reference from Daniel and Ezekiel. So let's look at one of those. Hold your place there in Revelation 1, and turn to the middle of your Bible and hang a little bit of a right, and you'll get to Daniel. Daniel's before Hosea. We spent all that time in in Hosea. Turn to Daniel chapter 7. The book of Daniel, being similar to Revelation, is apocalyptic literature. And so we have prophecies. We have very strange illustrations and illusions and symbols given here, but This is very biblical for us to look in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, where we see the Son of Man show up in Daniel's vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like the second person of God, the Son of Man? And here in Daniel 7, this title is used to describe the, the Messiah, The ruler of the universe, the one who is given absolute supremacy and glory and and power. And here the Son of Man, He's divine, He's eternal, He's sovereign. He has ultimate authority. And So this picture of Christ in Daniel chapter 7 illustrates the mighty power of Christ. No person can come even close to the awesomeness of who He is. And so the apostle John was using this title, the Son of Man, to describe the exalted Christ that he was seeing because he remembered. He remembered from his Bible studies, hey, this is the glorious one that Daniel talks about. This is the splendor of the glorious Christ that he was seeing. And so he goes on to describe the majesty of Jesus In verses 13 through 16, in Revelation chapter 1, John writes in very distinct detail to describe the appearance of the Son of Man. Again, remember, John can only use human language here. He can only say it's it's like this or it's compared to that. And so in these verses, we recognize, we see the majesty and the kingly appearance of Jesus, as John describes, his clothes and his physical features. In verse 13, Christ's glorious majesty is depicted by his clothes. He's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So he's depicted here wearing priestly apparel. He's decked out in priestly, majestic clothes. The book of Hebrews, as our adults know from studying it, describes Jesus as our great high priest who always lives to intercede for us. And so, here Jesus' clothes tell us that he is our he is our intercessor. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the great and majestic high priest. Jesus' physical appearance is amazing. Look in verse fourteen. His head and his hair were as white as snow, like wool. So for those of you who've been skiing or you've walked around North Alabama on a bright, sunny day after we've had six, seven, eight inches of snow, it's blinding. You can't see when the sunlight is hitting the snow. It is bright white and will literally make you see spots. So you've got the picture here of the, the bright white glory of Jesus' hair. And then his eyes in verse 14. He describes his eyes like blazing fire or a, a flame of fire. And Why would he describe Jesus' eyes looking like this? Well, this is to describe the, the purity of Jesus. The purification he will bring with his eyes. He He has penetrating eyesight, burning eyesight that will pierce any heart. Verse 15, he describes Jesus' feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace or burnished bronze. They are the feet in which he mightily tramples down wickedness. In verse 15, he describes his voice. He says his voice is like the rushing waters. So if you've been on one of those seashores before where it's not just this smooth, pristine sand, it may be rocks and boulders and rough terrain where the waves and the ocean is just pounding and roaring. Well, John was on the island of Patmos, and Patmos is said to have rocky shores. And so as John was imprisoned on this island, he was probably hearing the constant mighty breakers against the shoreline. And this was the power of Jesus' voice. In verse 16, John describes Jesus' mouth. And out of his mouth has a sharp two-edged sword. And hopefully you know from your Bible reading that the two-edged sword is the word of God. And here the word of God is coming straight from Jesus' mouth. The word of judgment, the two-edged sword. And so we're seeing one here who is glorious, who is awesome, who is radiant. And so to summarize the transcendence, the glory of Christ and his majesty in verse 16, John describes Jesus' face being like the sun, the sun shining in all its brilliance and like the sun shining in full strength. And we all know that you cannot look directly at the sun without going blind. Its UV rays are just too strong for the unprotected eye. So in the same way, the radiance, the glory, the majesty of Christ are too intense to gaze upon. In Revelation chapter 21, we read something amazing. I don't know if you've ever caught it. But in the new heavens and the new earth, it says there will be no sun. There will be no big ball of flaming fire in the sky, shining light upon the new heavens and the new earth. It says that Jesus' glory will be the light of heaven. Think about that. One so glorious, one so radiant, that it lights up the new heavens and the new earth. And so what John was seeing here, in a word, was awesome. I mean, it was amazing. This vision that John is giving us is a vision of the risen Christ whose glory is is not to be taken lightly. It's amazing. And so how are we to respond to this? Are we supposed to just go, oh, that's neat? (laughs) What are we to do? I believe this passage is here for us, this description is here for us to worship Jesus, to help us worship Jesus. When you come to grips, when you come face-to-face with the majesty, with the glory, with the power of Jesus, you and I are to worship him. That is what this description of the glory of Christ is here for us, to strike us with a sense of awe and wonder at His power and His majesty. And our response should be that of John. Remember John, the apostle whom Jesus loved. He was considered a very special friend of Jesus, yet what was his response to the revelation of the risen Savior that he had seen here in verse 17? It says he fell at his feet as though dead. He was so blown away by the majesty of Christ that he fell at his feet as though dead. Why? Why did he do this? Out of worship. He fell down and he worshiped. The glorious Christ before John that caused him to fall to the ground and worship is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth the majestic Jesus. And so we too are to be overwhelmed by this description of the Savior. You and I are not to take his glory lightly. God calls us to be in awe and wonder at this vision of Christ. Because let's be honest, at the beginning when I said picture Jesus in your mind, too often we just think of him as just a, little, a man, a bearded man, Maybe a little better looking than other guys, looks good on a painting, holding a little lamb in his arms, meek and mild, simple little Jesus. Or a baby, he's just a weak little baby lying in a manger, that's all that Jesus is. Or he's just a bloody victim dying on a cross. Or at the university, you college students, you know, Jesus was a unique moral man that we must study, but he wasn't God. Or even at seminary, is an error of teaching us that he's this intricate subject that you are to study and to master. But those pictures of Jesus is not anywhere close to what Revelation is describing, is it? This is not a guy with a little lamb in his arm. This is a guy of God who is powerful, who's exalted, who's glorious, who's majestic, who is the king. Who is the Savior? Who is too wonderful to approach? He's too awful to approach, but too wonderful to resist. As C.S. Lewis famously said about Aslan, he isn't safe, but he's good. So we're to fear God, we're to revere and honor him as King. And this fear is not to be a sense of terror of God as if he's going to smite us down at any moment, but realize that he is glorious, that he is majestic, and that he is good. And so not only do we worship him because of his glory, but also we worship him in reverent fear because of his greatness. John goes on in verses 17 and 18 to continue describing who he's seeing here. We're to recognize the power and the greatness of Christ and see that he is sovereign. In verse 17, Jesus says that he is the first and the last. Jesus is here identifying himself the same way he does, if you look back up in verse 8, as the Alpha and the Omega. These are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so we see here that Christ is the Alpha and that he is the Creator. He's the Omega and that he is the Consummator. He's the Completer. He, he is sovereign over all, past, present, and future. And he says in verse 18 that he has power over life and death. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Death is a state, Hades is a, is a place. And Jesus is saying here, He is sovereign over both. We like to think of the devil as in charge of hell and he's wandering around down there with his pitchfork. Jesus is sovereign over hell. He is in control. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has the victory over life and death. He wins. And He has the power to give life and to destroy, he says. He is eternal. He says in verse 18, I am the living one. Paul proclaims in Romans 6, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die. Death no longer has mastery over him. And therefore, his existence is forevermore, always until the end of time. He is the God who is and was and always will be. And in verse 18, he says, I am alive forever and ever. There's no time limit on Jesus' life. He does not expire. He lives forever. He is immortal, indestructible, and unchangeable. And so again, how are we we to respond to this? We worship. We worship. We trust him. We trust him that one that has this power, one that has this greatness, he's sovereign over all. He's the living one. He holds the keys to death and to Hades. He will finish what he was started and he will reign forever and ever and so we can trust him. So last, we worship Christ in reverent fear because he is gracious. He's gracious. This power, this authority, this majesty, this crushing holiness that John was face to face with, didn't just stop there because in verse 17 we see the grace of christ in his restoration his affection his comfort with affection the majestic lord jesus christ comes to john and he lays his hand upon his shoulder remember john is dead like he fell at his feet as though dead he's he's lying prostrate he's mortified at the glory of the son of christ and Jesus places his right hand on John to demonstrate his affection and his love and his grace. And then he restores John. We can assume that because Jesus touched John, he's no longer mortified. He's given life by the grace of Jesus. Jesus. And this is Christ's ultimate display of grace toward John. He says, do not be afraid, John. Do not be afraid. Again, John is petrified, he's mortified, he's scared to death by the glory and the majesty of Christ. And yet Christ comes to comfort him, telling him not to fear. He restores him by his grace. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the fear and shock John must have been feeling at this glorious Christ whom he was seeing? And can you imagine that the one that was causing you to be scared to death coming and laying his hand upon you and saying, do not fear, it is I. I love you. I died for you. I am the glorious one and I live forever and ever and ever. And so what is to be our response, again, to this grace that Jesus shows John? Again, we're to fear Jesus out of reverence and worship because he will blow you away with his glory. But fear not, because his grace is the only thing that can keep you from falling dead in his presence. And so when you begin to grasp the glory and the majesty of Christ in the gospel, Jesus comes to you and he says, It is I who gives you life and breath and everything else. Look at me. Do not be afraid. He puts his hand on your shoulder and he encourages you not to fear. And the grace and the love of Jesus Christ draws us to him. And so I ask you this morning as we begin a new year are you gripped? By the glory, by the greatness, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you marveling at how awesome he is? And are you are you seeing him for who he is? Do not take his glory lightly. If you've been taking the, the glory of Jesus lightly, if you've been convicted this morning that you've treated him as just a mere man, as someone you could just kind of keep there in your hand, and you've been treating him lightly, then pray. Ask God to change your heart and reveal this glorious Christ to you. And if you have not considered Christ as your King and as your Savior, then I invite you to do so. Be reconciled to God, repent of your sin, and go to the glorious risen Savior. See Jesus as your King and Lord. Bend your knee and worship the Christ who is not only glorious, who is not only great, but who is gracious. Let's pray. Father, right now, this year and every year and every day, help us to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is the risen Lord. He is the one who has the victory. He's the one who appeared to more than 500 people and showed himself to be alive. And who lives forever. And who one day will return. And so help us to be ready. Help us to worship and glorify him and enjoy him forever. Help us to think of him rightly. We pray in his holy name. Amen.